I don't know who uh, any of us that would have predicted just a few months ago that a five foot seven actor and comedian would become one of the most well-known international heroes in our culture today because he's leading his nation, a small nation, against an onslaught from one of the most powerful nations in the entire world. By now, you probably figured I'm speaking of uh, Zelensky, who is the president of the Ukraine. And he's, he's kind of an example of what we see in the world a lot around us today, don't we? We see these unsung heroes, people that you would least expect to become heroes. And, and probably most of us don't really see ourselves that way. But, but my prayer this morning is as we go through the Scriptures that you'll begin to understand that all of us are kind of like that when it comes to the church, that the church needs all of us, even those who might be the, 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 the ones who would be least likely to be kind of the heroes within the church. You know, it's really true as we, as we read the Bible. I mean, we're familiar with a lot of the people in the Bible, right? And we would consider them to kind of be the heroes of the faith. I mean, in the New Testament, we all know about people like Peter and and James, we know about the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know about Paul. We've been reading one of his letters, one of the many that he wrote. So we know about that. But there's a whole lot of people that I think we probably would never know about if it weren't for the fact that they're included in some of Paul's letters. And and even then, some of these names that we're going to look at this morning, they're really unfamiliar names. But they are kind of the unsung heroes. These are the people that were, were just as instrumental in the, in the early church as the people that we know really well. And I think the same thing is really true today, that, that the church needs all of us. It needs all of the disciples of Jesus to work together to carry out the ministry of the church. And I pray that that's what you're going to take away from this message today. We've been going through the, the book of Colossians. We've been calling this sermon series Rooted, and we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church there in, in Colossae, and we've been getting a lot of good things out of there. And, and today we come to the last part of the, the, the book or the last part of the letter, and frankly, this last section is one that, if we're really honest, a lot of us get to this section and we kind of just breeze right through it. Or we might just skim over it, and we see all these names here, and we don't know who these people are, so we kind of just pass over it. But I want you to see this morning that there's, there's some really great stuff for us to learn from these people that are listed there. And Paul realized, Paul realized that he could never do ministry by himself. And so that's what you see in his letters. He's always naming all these other people who kind of work behind the scenes, who were these unsung heroes of the early church. If you go through his letters, he lists over 100 names, including the 10 that we'll look at this morning at the end of the book of Colossians. And so he realized that that all these people were instrumental in his ministry. I I kind of struggle with how I was going to approach this passage this week. At the first, I thought, yeah, I'm just going to kind of give a big overview here because I don't want to get bogged down in all the details. But, But I began to this week to study about all the different people that are listed here. And I became really fascinated with them and and their part they had in the ministry. And I think there's something that we can learn from each one of them. So what I want to do is kind of work our way through this passage, almost verse by verse, look at each one of these people real briefly, see what they can teach us about how we can be effective ministers within the body of Christ. 
Before we do that, though, I want to set the stage with kind of the big idea, the main idea that we're going to look at today, and, and we've been talking about how we can be rooted in Christ, and today's big idea is this, to be rooted in Christ, I must be part of a team of faithful people devoted to developing mature disciples. I need to be part of a team, and the goal of that team is to develop mature disciples. And if we're going to be rooted in Jesus Christ, that is something, that, as we're going to see this morning, that every single one of us is called to, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the deacons, but every single person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be part of a team that is developing these mature disciples. And we see that in all the ten people that we're going to look at this morning that Paul lists in his letter. They all had an important part. It was different for every one of them but it was equally important. So let's go through, and, and we're going to begin this morning with, uh, there were two faithful messengers that he begins with here. The first one is a guy called Tychicus, one of my favorite names in the Bible. Ryan was joking earlier, he's gonna, his next dog is going to be named Tychicus. You know, kind of a cool name, right? And we see Tychicus here in the, in the beginning verses, in verses 7 and 8 of this passage that we're going to look at this morning where Paul mentions him. Here's, here's what Paul writes. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I want you to think about that for a moment, how he describes him. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is a really interesting guy. He's kind of like the mail carrier for Paul. He's going to take this letter from the, the prison where Paul is. He's going to take it back to the city of Colossae. And that was no easy trip, about 1,000 miles by ship and on foot. And not only that, he not only has this letter that he's taken there, but we're going to see in a moment he has two other letters with him, more than likely. He probably also has with him the letter that's being taken to the church in Ephesus, and I'll tell you about the other letter in just a moment. So he's, he's just being faithful. We also see Tychicus present with Paul at many times throughout his ministry. And so he's, he's this faithful servant. And so, so here's what we can learn about, about servanthood and about ministry from Tychicus, that he was faithful with the little things, and so then he was entrusted with greater things. And that can be true of us too, right? I, I don't know about you, but, but when I first started ministering in church, it was something really little. For me, it was, it was serving as an usher at the church we were at, something simple like that. And then growing in that till, till I had more and more responsibility. And I think that's something we can all do. We can all start with something small and then grow into something that's more important. The second guy we see here, this second messenger, is a guy named Onesimus. And Onesimus is, uh, is referred to here in the next verse, in verse 9. Here's what Paul writes. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our, our faithful and beloved brother, see how he describes him again, who is one of you. They will tell you that everything, of everything that has taken place here. Now, Onesimus, he's, he's accompanying Tychicus as this letter is being taken to these churches. And remember I said a moment ago that, that Tychicus probably had three letters with him. The third letter was the letter to Philemon. And Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave. And Paul is writing this letter back to Philemon to, to ask him to take Onesimus back, not just as his slave, but as a fellow disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And so Onesimus is going along on this journey with Tychicus to, to Colossae and, and to Ephesus and then finally back to his master, Philemon. And one of the things that we learn, I think, from, from the ministry of Onesimus is that God can use anybody, regardless of, of whatever things that might, might look like on the outside that would disqualify them from service, whether it be race or, or social standing or anything else, that even a guy like Onesimus, who was a slave, he could be used in Paul's ministry. He was an important part of Paul's ministry. So we see these two faithful messengers. The next thing we see is that there are three Jewish co-workers. We know they're Jewish because they're all identified as men of circumcision. And so these were Paul's fellow Jews. And there are three of them. The first one is a guy named Aristarchus. See that in the next verse here in verse 10. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. We don't know whether whether Aristarchus was in prison with him right then or or whether he just shared that experience and been, had been there. But he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And we're going to look at the rest of the passage here at that verse in just a moment with Mark. So, so who's this Aristarchus guy? Well, we see him back in the book of Acts. We see that he was a Macedonian. We also understand that, that when Paul went to Ephesus and there was this great riot there, that he was, he was taken into custody as part of that riot. And so he was someone that uh, had been with Paul through kind of thick and thin. And one of the things we learned about ministry from Aristarchus is that, that sometimes ministry just means sticking with someone else, regardless of the circumstances, that we're going to be faithful to, to stick with other people, even when things get really hard, whether that mean, meant imprisonment, whether that be, meant being arrested as part of a riot. Aristarchus, he was a guy that just remained faithful. He was a faithful friend. And sometimes that's an important part of ministry is just to be a faithful friend. The second, the second of the Jewish people we see here is a guy named Mark. We're all probably familiar with Mark, right? He's the writer of the gospel of Mark. And he's mentioned in the same verse that we looked at just a moment ago in verse 10. It says, And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark's an interesting guy. He, uh, he, earlier on, he had actually abandoned Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. And so when Paul gets ready to go on his second missionary journey, Barnabas comes to Paul and says, Paul, let's, let's go ahead and take Mark along with us. And Paul says, oh, no way, I'm not taking this guy with me. He abandoned me the first time. What we see here, though, is that by this time, that reconciliation had taken place between Paul and Mark. Maybe by now Mark had written his gospel account. It's possible that Paul was even familiar with that. We don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that now they've been reconciled. And in 2 Timothy, at the end of that letter, when Paul writes to Timothy, he's nearing the end of his life. He's in prison, and he asks Timothy to send Mark to him. Of all people, he wants Mark there. And Mark is this great example that God is a God of second chances, that even if we've failed in ministry, even if we've, we've turned away from God at some point, God can still use us. He's a God who, who specializes in second chances. And so no matter, even if we've failed him in ministry before, God can still use us in mighty, mighty ways. The last of the Jewish guys is, uh, is Justice, or Jesus, called Justice. Now, in that day, the name Jesus was really common. 
And so you can understand here, we know that why Paul would call him Jesus called Justice. A lot of people back in that day had more than one name, like Saul and Paul or Simon and Peter. So you can understand why he refers to him as Justice here. And, and <laughs> excuse me, we don't know anything else about Justice. This is the only place he's mentioned in the Scripture. So we, we can't really make a lot of conclusions, but here's what we do know. Paul was continually being opposed by his fellow Jews, right? And so it had to be such an encouragement to him to have someone who would stay with him and be faithful. He's, he's mentioned, I've skipped a verse here in verse 11, and Jesus called justice. These are the men of the circumcision. So that's how we know that, that he's Jewish there. And he's this guy that, that even though Paul is being opposed by his own people, time after time, he just sticks close to Paul there. And so we see here again the, the value of a friend who can stick with us, even when we're going through, through opposition in ministry. And we all need people like that, someone who can, who can be with us, who can remain faithful to us, who can encourage us in the face of opposition. So we had the two, the two messengers, we had the three Jews, and now we have three Gentile co-workers that he mentions next. The first one we're familiar with, a guy named Epaphras. And he's, he's written about in verses 12 and 13. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in light Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now we know we know Epaphras because he, he was mentioned back at the very first of the letter. And back then, Ryan reminded us that, that he was probably the founder of the church here in Colossae. He was the pastor there. We know from this verse he was also ministering in some of the nearby cities like Laodicea and Hierapolis. And there's two things that we learn about Epaphras here that I think are really important for us. The first thing that we learn is that he was a, a prayer warrior. It says here he was struggling with prayer. That word struggling is the same English or same word we get our English word agonizing. This was a guy who was agonizing over the people. And what was he agonizing over? What was he praying about? He was praying that they might become fully mature disciples of Jesus. He was praying that they might understand the will of God and live it out in their lives. But the second thing we see about him, it says here that he worked hard. That word means that it was painful, hard labor. He worked hard in his ministry. And so, so, so he really gives us here the Epaphras helps us to understand that in ministry there's always this balance between dependence on God on one hand and hard work on the other hand. And they both have to go hand in hand. And if one or the other of those is missing, our ministry will never be effective. So we have to depend on God. We have to pray, but we also need to work hard. Second Gentile we see here is a guy that we're also familiar with, a guy named Luke. He's mentioned here in, in verse 14. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. We'll talk about Demas in just a moment. Now, you guys are familiar with Luke, right? He's the author of the gospel that bears his name. This is the one place, this is how we actually know that Luke was a physician. This is the one place in Scripture where he's identified as a physician. And he did. He, he wrote the gospel. He also wrote the book of Acts, as we know. 
And he, he was with Paul on a lot of Paul's missionary journeys. We know this because as you read through the book of Acts, look at how many times you'll see we and us. And that's because Luke is writing about the fact that he's part of these events that, that Paul is experiencing on these missionary journeys. I guess you could say he was kind of like the first medical missionary in a sense. I mean, he was with Paul to the, to the very, very end tending to his physical needs. And what I like about Luke is Luke demonstrates to us that that whatever skills we have, whatever knowledge we have, whatever education we have, whatever resources we have, that those can always be used for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Whatever it might be, whatever God gives to you, whatever, whatever skills you have, whatever schooling you have, whatever natural abilities he, you might have, All of those could be used for the kingdom of God. The next guy we see mentioned is a guy named Demas. He's also mentioned in in verse 14 there, as does Demas. Now, that's all Paul says about Demas. That's it. And I was wondering, why, why is that? And I'm wondering if Paul wasn't beginning to sense that Demas was not going to be around and stick around for a long time. And we know that that is the case because when Paul writes to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, he explains to us what happens. He says, For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas deserted him. For Demas, the, the pull of the world pulled him away from his faith in Jesus, or at least from his service to Jesus. And that can happen to us, right? It can happen if you're in ministry. And if you're in ministry for for any period of time at all, you're going to find out that from time to time, there will be people who won't remain faithful in ministry. And I think that's what Demas helps us to understand. There are going to be some people along the way that, that won't remain faithful to the end. And Paul experienced that. I'm sure Demas wasn't the only one that deserted him. But here's the good news. Paul kept on ministering anyway. He didn't allow the fact that some people had deserted him to to keep him from doing what he needed to do. And I think that's an important lesson for us. I know in ministry I have people that that have let me down, people who I feel like like deserted me at times. But you know what? I can still keep on going. And Demas is a is a good reminder of that, that, that even if other people desert us in our ministry, we can continue to serve and minister for Jesus. So that's the, the two recipients, the three Jewish guys, the three Gentile guys, and then finally he addresses the recipients of the letter. The first one he addresses is someone named Nympha. And, I, and, and he or she is mentioned in verse 15. Explain that in a moment. It says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, if you have some other translations, it might be translated Nymphus and say in his house. And not really sure here, but really it doesn't matter either way. It's really not all that important because the principle that we can find here is going to be relevant either way. You see, there weren't any church buildings till about 300 A.D., so what did the church do? It met in people's houses. 
And normally that meant in a place like Colossae that it would have to be a pretty big house for the church to meet there, right? And so Nympha, either he or she, probably had a house that was pretty big where the church could all come and meet there. And they opened up their house so that the church could meet there. And I think Nympha is a, a good reminder to us that whatever resources God gives us can be used for his kingdom. In her case, it was a house, or his case, it was a house. For us, it might be something completely different. It might be some skill we have. It might be some possessions that we own. It might be our house that we can use for the glory of God. But whatever God gives us, we can use it for his kingdom. He also addresses here the church at Laodicea, which is interesting, which we see in the next verse here. It says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Really interesting here, isn't it? What we learn is that this letter that Paul wrote, it was supposed to also be read in the church in Laodicea, and there was also a letter that Paul had written to the church at Laodicea that was going to be read in their church. So they were going to swap these letters back and forth because it was going to help them to, to grow even more in their faith if they could have both these letters. Now, the question we have is, where is this letter to the church in Laodicea? Now, I don't know about your Bible. I don't have Laodiceans in my Bible. Anyone have that in yours? No, right? So there's a couple of possibilities here. One possibility is that, that Paul wrote the letter, and somewhere along the line it disappeared, and that under the direction of God's Holy Spirit, it never made it into the Scriptures that we have today. That's possible. I have to believe in my own mind that Paul probably wrote more letters than just the 13 that we have in our New Testament at some point in time, and that not all of them got preserved because God, in his infinite wisdom, didn't cause them to end up in our Scriptures. The other possibility, and and, and to my way of thinking, the one that's more likely is that he's probably referring here to the letter to the church in Ephesus, which we know as Ephesians. If you think about it, we've used, how many times have we used the letter to the the church in Ephesus to support the things that we're learning here in the book of Colossians because they're they're so parallel. So it seems like that's possible. In either case, what we learn here is that in the kingdom of God, local churches that are serving God, that are preaching his word, we are not in competition with one another. We're not in competition with we're not in competition with the church that's next to us here, the one across the street, as long as they're preaching the word of God, we're all going to be able to reach different people for Jesus. And as long as we're holding fast to the scriptures, and not every church does that, by the way, I'm not saying that these churches necessarily do, but if they do, it means that we can cooperate, we can work together for the good of the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, not all churches are going to fit there, but the ones that can, we ought to work together with them. Finally, the last guy that's going to be mentioned here is Archippus. And Archippus, here's what we know about him. He's mentioned in the letter to Philemon. He was apparently Philemon's son. That's about all that we know about him, but here's what Paul writes about Archippus. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know what that ministry was. Nobody really knows. I don't know. But whatever it was, Paul found it important enough to say to Archippus, go ahead and hold fast to that. Whatever it is, 
Whatever ministry God has given you, hold fast to it. I don't know, maybe Archippus was getting burned out. Maybe he was thinking about getting out of ministry and going back to his old job. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, Paul encourages him. And what what we learn here from Archippus is that if God calls us to a ministry, that he's going to equip us for whatever we need for that ministry, whatever we need to carry it out. I really like what uh, Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. This This is really, I think, applicable to us. Here's what he wrote. He said, Paul reminded Archippus that his ministry was a gift from God and that he was a steward of God who would one day have to give an account of his work. Since the Lord gave him the ministry, the Lord could also help him carry it out in the right way. And that's true for you, and that's true for me. Ministry is not something we do for God. It is something that God does in and through us. When I first came here to Thornydale Family Church back in 2004, I made a commitment to God. I told him that I would remain here as long as he wanted me to be here and would serve him the very best that I could as long as he wanted me to be here, and that I wasn't going to leave this church to to go anywhere else unless I was 100% sure that God was leading me to do that. And I did that because I think that's what God is calling all of us to do, whether we're in vocational ministry or not. He says, go ahead and just be faithful where I put you and do it the very best you can until I call you to go somewhere else and minister somewhere else. And I think we all ought to do that. Finally, Paul closes the letter with a reference to himself. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He's probably dictated this whole letter, and now he wants to sign it to to give it authority. He tells them to remember his chains, not because he wants them to feel sorry for him or anything like that, but he wants to encourage them that if he can continue doing ministry while he's in jail, that certainly they can do it wherever they are. And then finally, he ends the letter the same way that he began it, with grace. So I hope you see this morning why we've said now that to be rooted in Christ, I must be part of a team of faithful people devoted to developing mature disciples. Every single one of us is called to do that. So what are some implications for my ministry? I want to close with three of them real briefly this morning. Number one, Every disciple is a minister. We talk about this a lot. That the, it's not just me, not just the elders. Every single one of us, if you're, if you're called to be a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be a minister for him. And that's going to look a lot different for all of us, isn't it? Some of those things are going to be really public, and some of those things are not going to be so public. But whatever it is, whatever Jesus calls us to, we are to be ministers for him. And I'm not going to belabor this point because we talk about it a lot, but, but hopefully what you will do this morning as you think about these, these ten people that we've talked about, think about how they ministered in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Excuse me. And my prayer is that as you think about their lives, that God will guide you to a place where you can serve him. Maybe that's the place you're already serving him, and that's great, but maybe he'll lead you to another place where he wants you to serve within this body. The second implication for my ministry is this, is Jesus does not call the equipped, he equips the called. I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I I can't do ministry. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right education. I don't have the right resources to do that. 
Neither did any of these guys. <laughs> Let me tell you, they, they didn't have near what any of us have. You know what? If you can read, even if you're a poor reader, if you can read, you're probably more educated than most of the people that Paul mentioned in this letter today. And if you have a place to live, and if you have a car, I can guarantee you that you have more material resources than probably any of these people, except maybe Nympha, that, that Paul wrote about here. So you have, you have things that you can use. But God's, God's not calling you to, to, to evaluate what you have and then determine what you're going to minister with. He's saying, if I call you to it, I will equip you. I'll give you everything you need to be able to carry out that ministry. That's what he did for these ten people, and he'll do it for you too. Finally, the last thing is that people are more important than programs. I, I read this passage over and over. I can't find Paul mentioning one program mentioned in here, did he? Mentioned ten people, not one program. And over the years, I think churches have gotten gotten caught up in programs, and programs can have some benefit. They can be useful for a season, I think. I mean, our, this church has been part of some. I mean, I think about all the way back to the, the, the purpose-driven church or things like I mentioned last week, like I was involved in evangelism, evangelism explosion. And those things can have some benefit, but frankly, programs by themselves are never going to lead anyone to Jesus Christ. They're never going to help anyone to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That requires people. It requires you. It requires me. It requires all of us to do our part to help develop mature disciples of Jesus. If you were to go to a movie that you really like and you want to talk about that movie with someone else, you might say something like this. Hey, did you see the new Clint Eastwood movie, right? You might say that or... Did you see the new Steven Spielberg movie? Because you know who those people are. You'd never go and say, have you seen the, the latest James Patrick Harris movie? And you guys know who he is? He was a grip on a movie. You know what a grip is? I, did, I had no idea until this week. I had to look it up. I think it's someone who takes care of the lighting on the movie set. And this guy was actually a grip on the movie West Side Story that just came out recently, which was a Steven Spielberg movie. So you might know it by that. You might know it by the title. But you would never know of this guy, right? But guess what? Without him and without all the fellow grips, that movie never gets made, right? The only people that are going to know about that guy are the ones that sit at the end of the movie and read the credits at the end. Usually that's like family members and friends because they go, hey, his name's going to be up there at the end of the movie, right? Most of us don't even look at that. And I think that's a great illustration of what a church is like. There may be some people that you know because they're the pastors, they're on the worship team, they're up here in front, you see us. But those people are no more important than the ones that work behind the scene, those unsung heroes that just... Take whatever God has given them and use it for his glory. You know, I, I often think about what, what our church could do for the glory of God if every single person was plugged into a place of ministry, if every single purpose was doing all they could to help develop mature disciples 
of Jesus Christ. Will you do your part so that that dream can come true? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Well, it's one of those passages that sometimes we just skip over this long list of names of, of people we don't know, and yet, Father, thank you for the things that you've showed us from your word today. And Father, my prayer is for each one of us that you would help us to find a place of ministry, a place where we could allow you to equip us and help us so that we could help develop mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, I, I, I just dream about what you could do with even a small church like ours, Father, where every person was plugged in and doing their part. And I pray, Father, that we would see that happen here. Not so that we get any credit, but for your glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name.